you really mustn't, darling. I... What's up, everybody? Welcome to season two of Can I Comment? And um, man, we're excited to be back. I'm here with Jake. What's up? And uh, we're back. We took uh, some time off. I had a kid. Yes, you did. And you went on vacation, had yep. a bit of a sabbatical. It was awesome. Is that the first time you've done that? I, yeah, it was. So the first time deserved. It was great. Thank Hung you. out with the family for five weeks. Five weeks. Yeah. Yeah. This was awesome. Traveled all around the US. Got a week alone yeah. um, in Cabo, which is awesome. Yep. So, but it's good to be Alone, that. meaning like you and your wife. Yes, not, not just, just me. You just went alone to Cabo? <laughs> just some prayer and spiritual time. In, yeah, ultra spiritual in, in Cabo. Cabo. But Lucas. you did go on a bit of a prayer. I did. spiritual retreat, yeah. I did. That was great. Yep. Um, walked around the woods. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. It was awesome. And now we're back. Back with season two. Yes, sir. Of Can I Comment? And um, so obviously James isn't with us. Uh, James actually has uh, become a progressive Christian, actually, in the time that we've um, jumped off the podcast. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, uh, the truth is a couple things. James is really busy. He is, man, he's a teacher. He's an acting teacher. Um, he's doing all kinds up. of crazy stuff. Uh, he's so busy. That world's picking back up. So he'll probably be in from time to time. But also, um, we wanted to, season two, so many of you reached out and just loved when we had guests on. So uh, season two, we're really going to be focused on bringing in some guests, some of our favorite thinkers, yep. um, pastors, writers, theologians, uh, to just come on and continue the kind of conversations that we've been having. So we're excited to do that. Um, and hey, listen, before we jump into the interview today, do us a huge favor. Uh, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, rate the show, leave us a review. Um, it has been uh, so helpful just as we've gotten the show off the ground. And we got some really actually exciting things uh, that are going to be happening with the podcast here in the next couple of months. So mm -hmm. um, it's going to be good. So make sure you do that. Follow us on Instagram, la.church, and uh, just be a part of everything that's going on. So today uh, we, we have an interview, a conversation with Chris Palmer. And uh, Chris is an amazing guy. He is uh, the dean of Theashu. He is a professor at Moody. Yep. Um, and uh, is also, did he say he's getting his doctorate? Is that what he's, he's yeah. doing right now, getting uh, his PhD? Yeah. And he has a book coming out called Strange Scriptures. Strange Scriptures. Which is actually comes out. Comes out, yeah. By the time you're listening to this, it will have come out about a week ago. So Great. go on Pay Amazon, uh, get that. And so we just talked to him about strange scriptures. We break yeah. apart a couple of strange scriptures and talk about that. And, and he's was, awesome um, and gracious. Yep. And I yeah. think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. Yeah, had such a good time. So, hey, listen, just hang around and we are going to go right into this interview with Chris Palmer. And we'll see you right after this. So we're here with uh, Chris Palmer. Chris, man, thanks for, for being on the podcast today. Yeah, it's you're, a, um, my honor, guys. Thanks for having me. I think you're like our fifth guest. I think so. Right? Is yeah. that right? We've had Nathan and Gabe on. We've had Nathan on twice. Yeah. We had Gabe on. Regret regrettably. Yeah, regrettably. <laughs> we had to we had to bleep out Nathan a couple of times. But uh I love it. But uh, love it. we're excited, man. We're excited to have you. So Chris is, um, well, you're a professor at Moody. You are the, are you the dean of Theosu? They're Theos yeah. Seminary now? Yeah, I think that's what I'm calling it. Minister of Academics Dean. It's all the same. It's all the same name. Depends how, how Hogwarts you want to be about it. But yeah, technically it's the dean. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. And then uh, an author, you got a book coming out. When is it coming out exactly? 
Actually, tomorrow, strange tomorrow. scriptures. Yep. Mm-hmm. Strange scriptures. Tomorrow. Yeah, yep. deciphering fifty-two weird, bizarre, and co- and curious verses from the New Testament. Great. So yep, we're gonna. Yep. Uh, I'm excited to ask you about I'm sure that. We'll talk about some of that. Um, sure. But we yeah. start out every episode, and I actually forgot to tell you about this. So okay. if you don't want to do it, you just feel free to say no. But we start <laughs> out every episode with a thing we like to call toxic theology. Not because I don't, I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of toxic theology out there. You're kidding and so me. what what we like to do <laughs> is uh, we scour the internet for the best theologians we can find. Most of them are on Instagram. Most of them have uh, deconstruction Patreon accounts that they want you to yeah. charge for. <laughs> okay. So we don't say their names, but yeah, I yeah. I don't tell Jake and then I don't tell our guest. I just read you one of their brilliant tweets or Instagram yeah. posts, let you guys quickly respond to it. And just want to hear your thoughts about it. We don't use their name because we don't want to shame anybody. Sure, sure. But but we we do it. Okay, so yeah, this will be fun. Let's hear. So it. so here we go. Um, let's see here. Okay, here's one. The phrase "You must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ" does not even exist in the Bible. But the <laughs> phrase "True religion is loving the orphan and the widow" does. Which one have you heard preached more? This person is definitely a proof texter, that's for sure. Okay. And uh, they probably they probably have a problem with proof texting if you ask them, you know, picking and choosing, using verses to uh to match their um their uh burn they're burned, obviously. They they obviously are probably one of these people coming out of evangelicalism, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh so yeah, I mean, apparently they're coming from a place that is um jaded and upset with the evangelical church. So it seems to uh be part of their post there. Yeah. So the phrase having a personal relationship with Jesus does not appear in the Bible. Yeah, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ does not appear in the right, Bible. And then religion. and then in the caption he just says, uh, I'm sure like me you've heard about a thousand altar calls to raise your hand, pray a prayer and start a personal relationship with Jesus by receiving Jesus into your heart. Mm-hmm. Too bad none of this even exists in the scripture. I mean, you know, I would say that the way that he's coming at that, uh, where you're saying it doesn't appear in Scripture, I mean, we don't see the word Trinity in Scripture, but you begin to put together Trinitarian theology as you move through the narratives, as you move through the text. And so um, I'm not sure, you know, I had a professor that used to always say, we learn by precept and we learn by example. Okay, so the Bible doesn't have to specifically say something exactly the word for word the way that we want it. Uh, to frame a theology around it. I mean, I think there's plenty of places uh, where we see. Now, I don't think that you can have a personal relationship with Christ and be apart from his body on a sense of just do it all on your own. And you have to be part of the body of Christ. I mean, that means being around brothers and sisters and being part of his church. Um, So I don't want to give the idea of just being individualistic about how we do our faith, uh, because I think that's a product of our culture is individualization. Uh, But at the same time, I think there is a very strong case in scripture. I think it's all but apparent that as believers, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's a personal experience that we have. This isn't just a corporate experience, although it happens corporately, um, but each of us is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And I think that's a very personal experience. It, it certainly seemed personal when I received it, and, and I think millions of believers across the world would tell you that it was personal for them. So uh, to really just discount and, and take a giant swoop like that, I think in my, in my opinion, shows um, they're, they're, they're starting off jaded. Okay, mm-hmm. they're obviously they have a bent against something, and uh, that that's not a way to begin theology and to start doing it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really well said. I agree that um, having a relationship with Jesus is uh, pretty well on every page of the New Testament, and yeah. Jesus certainly called us to relationship with Him. I mean, and I guess there's a lot of scriptures that could come to mind. Like I think about um, 
how there's going to be people who call him Lord, Lord, but Jesus will say, get away from me. I never yeah. knew you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, relationship is, is all over the place. And true religion follows from having a true relationship with the Lord. Um, and so, the, yeah, I mean, go ahead. That's really good. Go ahead. I mean, interrupt. There's ahead. a couple of things I think. Like number one, I I hear them. They've obviously grown up in an evangelical culture with a lot of uh, altar calls where you raise your hand and mm-hmm. come down the front. Mm-hmm. And um, John Mark Comer actually had some good stuff to say about that recently in a in a um, a sermon where he was talking about uh, different kinds of American gospels. And uh, I believe he himself grew up in evangelicalism, as did I. And I'm sure Chris, you probably did as well. And I think he he shies away from that term um, for, I guess, uh, identification reasons, which is fine. Um, but one of the things he said that was interesting is how actually, uh, to a certain extent, that is a it's it's a, a good thing that evangelicalism has contributed to our culture because it's it's put a line in the sand where people choose: am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? So that our faith is not just inherited tradition; it's actually personalized belief. Uh, which from a New Testament standpoint is obedience. And you can't have obedience, uh, or at least you can't have heartfelt obedience apart from relationship. So that's a positive on the evangelical side. Now, I yeah. think it uh, it can be certainly uh, misconstrued, as it has been, to be, okay, raise your hand, now you're going to heaven when you die, and that's all of Christianity, which of course it's not, and that's not the New Testament blueprint for Christianity whatsoever. It's living under the lordship of Jesus and participating in the kingdom. And part of participating in the kingdom is doing good works, which God has prepared for us since before time began. And so I agree with you that they are proof texting. um, And I actually hear a lot of sermons about what it looks like to live out your faith um, through the various gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to to, to say that, I mean, if you look at the scriptures about repentance, I'm thinking of 1 John chapter 5 or different places in Acts. I mean, Acts is a personal narrative. It follows different personalities and their walk and their experiences in ministry. But these repenting is something that's deeply personal. Like I said before, the indwelling of the Spirit, something that is deeply personal. Uh, so we, we can look and see in the narrative that these are things that are, okay, the, for instance, the rich young ruler. This is an individual who is having to make a personal decision about whether or not he wants to follow Christ. And so when someone says personal relationship with Christ, I think it's just the way that we've come to language things in our culture uh, to, to exactly what you're saying, to suggest that this has to be your faith, something that you decide on, and it's not just something that you can inherit from somebody and, and just say that you've had an experience. Um, Karl Barth, the famed theologian, said the, theology begins with an encounter with God. Okay, that was the whole premise of his theology, all right? So that was deeply personal. John Wesley, uh, he didn't have altar calls per se. I would say that was that was going on. It may have been, you know, in pockets during his time, but he invited people to come down personally mm. to take the Eucharist, okay, upon receiving Christ. That was his invitation, mm. come receive Christ. That was mm-hmm. an individual decision that you made. Um, and so maybe this individual is just frustrated with how people language things and how they say things, which I think in our culture today is is important. Maybe we want to think about what we mean when we say things. I can appreciate that, but I don't think you can depersonalize yeah. everything in scripture uh, and just call people to some type of social justice apart from that. Exactly. And I think that description right there, that that would be looking upon this statement with charity, um, which I think we should do. Uh, the potential danger of it is that you actually don't think a relationship with Christ is important at all, and that Christianity is nothing more than um, social justice or any kind of uh, right. good works. And that 
is very dangerous mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, relationship with Christ is what matters. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think what happens in our culture is when we see something, we see a problem. People just kind of go off the deep end with it, and everything becomes mm -hmm. about that. So all of a sudden, social justice is a matter, or it's come to the forefront. Everybody all of a sudden just becomes so impacted by social justice, they exactly. leave everything behind, right? We forget about the other essences of Scripture, what things teach. Scripture is not just social justice. It's not a social justice gospel. Um, and so um, taking two verses and proof texting, you can do that with anything and put them in contrast uh, to make one thing seem less than the other is just a classic case of doing bad theology. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, if we're really good at calling people to relationship with Jesus, then true religion will follow. Um, and certainly that has been my experience in seeing uh, and, and belonging to healthy churches um, is that that happens. And both things are celebrated and they are proof positive of one another. They affirm one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Great, great. So that's not a theology that we would recommend people to look shying away and, from relationship with christ yes absolutely not good <laughs> um no we don't want to recommend that yeah. yeah good good well chris um man tell us about um this book that you have coming out where we're both pastors and kind of the reason we did this yeah. podcast was uh we wanted just to be able to talk um really more deeply about some of the questions that we get right uh, a lot of the questions yeah. that we get are about the bible about maybe some of the scriptures that are not as um straightforward at least on the surface so i don't know man jump in tell us tell us about the book what what made you write it and then maybe i don't know what sure. are some of the the strangest scriptures maybe that you uh that you approach <laughs> yeah uh, in the book well thanks for giving me the chance to, to talk about my book i i appreciate you guys rolling out a carpet and giving me a platform to discuss it um so i wrote three books uh one's called letters from jesus one's called greek word study and this is the third part of the series strange scriptures where i take I come at the text um, using a historical grammatical methodology, which is a big word for saying I look at the history behind the passage and the grammatical syntax uh, from the original, which these are New Testament passages, um, so that's Greek. And then I do all that, but I want to simplify it for people that don't have time to study Greek, but could certainly benefit from it, don't have time to study the historical context, and could certainly benefit from it. So in mind, I have the busy mother, the busy father, the, the working professional, people that are up at seven, out the door coming home. It's late. They've had a long day. They've put the kids to bed and they want to read something. Uh, so what I've done is I'm like, look, it, I can take I can take the jargon out of this um, and make it a very simple study that maybe might inspire them to, to want to learn some Greek um, and just make it right down the middle and simple. I got really excited about Greek um, when I was in seminary and I just saw how it enhanced the passages. Didn't correct the passages, it just enhanced it. It was like going from a regular television to an HD or a regular screen to a retina Great. screen. Um, and I just wanted to make it simple. Um, strange scriptures, there are so many scriptures in the New Testament that we overlook. We just don't have the time to investigate. They just seem kind of odd. Western minds don't really think about these things, or they're so out of place that we just, we overlook them. And, and sometimes I understand why we do it. I, I said in the book, they're not things you read in a Hallmark card. It's not like I can do all things through <laughs> Christ who strengthens me, or, you know, one of these, I, you know, what is the verse, um, you know, uh, what's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? Okay, these the types plans. of verses. Yeah, plans I have for you. Yeah, I know the plans yeah. I have for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of these are these are our go to scriptures. These are not things you see being Instagram because it, it's almost impossible because you need a context for it. Um, and I thought, let me write about these as simply as I can and make devotions for the average person off of these weird scriptures you would never find in a devotional book. And I liked how it turned out. I think it was really, really nice. It turned out. I think pretty good. That's awesome. I definitely can't wait to read it. Yeah. 
awesome. I do think it'd be cool to talk about like maybe one or two of your favorites. Yeah. Um, and we're kind of putting you on the spot here. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, so one of the ones, one of the ones I, I like to talk about a little bit is Galatians chapter five, verse 12, because people don't, you know, people don't know what to think mm-hmm. of Paul and, but Paul is pretty crass. Mm-hmm. Okay. He probably would get kicked out of, he would not get invited back <laughs> <Right>. to <laughs> right. most pulpits. Right. Okay. Uh, I spent nine years as a traveling minister and I always say there's a lot of, pre- a lot of churches I preached for one time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Never you know. got the return invite. Huh? <laughs> you, 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 we'll call you. Thanks. We'll send you that on yeah. in, yeah. in, in the mail. We'll, we'll talk to you a little <laughs> bit later, right? And then the year comes around, you haven't heard from them, yeah. and yeah, yeah. So, or they they have you on the Wednesday night. They want to check you out. So if you screw up, you know, <laughs> right. not for right. Sunday morning crowd. Cut the yeah. audio. Cut it. <laughs> cut it. You know. <laughs> Um, so this was, so, so Paul's writing to his Galatian church, you know, he's, he's had trouble with them. They have, um, you know, they've gone astray. They're following the Judaizers. Judaizers have come into them. And, you know, the Judaizers at that time were just people that believe that if you were going to be a Christian, you had to follow Jewish law. And, uh, that included particularly in their case, circumcision. So Paul was making a case against faith in Christ, uh, and what that does for us versus the works of law, particularly circumcision, which was a part of Jewish identity at that time. Um, so it wasn't just the work, it was a, a Jewish social identity type thing. And some Jews got it because of social identity, but some of them just, you know, they didn't feel they needed it. And so the Judaizers challenged them. And Paul says this statement. When you say some Jews got it, you mean some Christians got it? Yeah, some Christians got it. Christian Jews at yeah. that time got it. The Messianic yeah. Jews, whatever. They got it. Um, and some of them weren't doing it. It depends. But the but certainly not the um, Gentiles at that time. So, and there was Gentiles in that church in Galatia. So Paul writes and he says to them, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Um, <laughs> Galatians 5, 12. You won't see that on a keychain, right? <laughs> You're not going to see that Sounds on like a... like a good sermon title, Emasculate <laughs> Yourself. <laughs> that'll, that'll be good. You should preach that. That'll, that'll get a lot of Do it. Uh, reshares. Preach reshares, it. Yeah. Preach it, you know? Like, <laughs> you, you'll definitely, you may make it on the OSU meme page if you do that. There you go. You know? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, you'll be on the page if you if you preach that sermon. Um, That's it. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> I've never heard a sermon on this. And I'm like, how strong? How strong was this statement? Well, it's well, it definitely comes off strong in the Greek. The word, so the word here, masculate themselves, is pretty blunt. It means to cut something off. It was the word that was used to talk about pruning a tree branch. I mean, a straight slice. He's talking about the. The, the male testicles, okay? And he's mm-hmm. saying to them, I wish those who are giving you a hard time, these Judaizers, would go cut their testicles off. That's street <laughs> language. Right. This is Paul. He's not dialing why is it, it back. Why is it that whenever we have someone related to Theosu <laughs> on here, we always end up talking about male genitalia? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What did so Nathan, Nathan talked talk about, about the David getting all of the Philistine foreskins? Yes, that's <laughs> it. The bag of foreskins. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely we're definitely Pauline around here. That's for yes, sure. Yes. <laughs> so I wish those who done to emasculate themselves. Um, what's the logic behind it? It's a really powerful verse because he's talking. He's referring to this this cult at the time who were pagans. They were called the Galilee. Okay, and the the way that they believed that they sought righteousness or honor their gods, okay, was that they would cut off their genitalia, okay? They would do that. And they were doing this. They were neutering themselves in honor of their gods. And they felt that brought them favor with God. Um, and that was a note of zealousness at the time. It was understood that these were very zealous people. And what Paul's basically saying to them, he's challenging them saying that if if you really think you're something else for cutting off your foreskin, He's pointing back to the galley and he's saying, well, look at what they do. They even go mm. further in their mm. zealousness and they cut off their full 
genitalia. So <laughs> yeah. if you're zealous about God and you What's think that you? It, 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 yeah. there you go. What's <laughs> that's a good sermon title. What's stopping? What's stopping? You? What's the altar call there? What's the altar call at the end of the sermon? <laughs> Yeah, I don't exactly. know, whenever yeah. I picture that, I always picture a cigar cutter. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> the cigar. Cutter. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was. Is that James? Was there a James Bond where they like cigar cut a guy finger off? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. To substitute the finger for a foreskin. There you go. <laughs> Boom. There you go. A cigar cutter. That would be a really good prop for for the Sunday morning sermon. Right yeah, exactly. There. I think it would definitely it, it would definitely scare people into uh, justification by faith alone. That's <laughs> there for you sure, go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's really interesting, that reference. So Paul is identifying some other uh, pagan religious behavior of the day, and he's saying, if you're putting uh, your faith in your outward behavior based upon um, Jewish law, uh, and you're saying that's of merit to God, Mm -hmm. um, then Mm -hmm. why is that different from what what these other pagans are doing? People that you well know are Mm -hmm. non-believers, they don't have a relationship with Christ. So what makes you yeah. different from them? Absolutely. And and I think that really speaks to, if we can draw now, kind of bring this over to where we're at today. I mean, I don't know of anybody that's tempted to go cut off their genitals to earn salvation, but we were just talking about the social gospel, mm-hmm. social justice. Mm-hmm. Is this what brings salvation? Exactly. Is social justice? Mm-hmm. Is going out in the street and holding up a sign? Um, is, uh, you know, clean water? I mean, these are things that Sometimes people look to for salvation, but salvation doesn't come through social justice. Mm-hmm. Salvation comes through grace. It was the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, even before, I mean, faith, justice came to by faith alone, but it's grace, God's grace, meeting our faith mm-hmm. that brings our salvation. That is what makes Christianity Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's what makes it unique. It's what makes it, it gives us its essence. And the moment you lose that, you lose salvation. That is exactly why the moment you challenge Okay, the work of Jesus. When you get into Christological heresies and Christ no longer died for our sins, mm-hmm. um, you know, you get into Jehovah's Witnesses and what they believe about Christ. You start working for your salvation because you now you're off base. And so, mm-hmm. as Christians, we need to understand that, like you guys were just saying prior to this, that the result of knowing Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit is good works. But good works don't precede salvation. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And Paul was trying. Paul was trying to preserve that in the Galatian church, and I think he did. I um, mean, it, it was very helpful, but he wasn't afraid to just really go at the culture at that time and critique it. And I think that was what you guys in your podcast are doing, what we're trying to do at FailShoe and really just speak to the issues of yep. the day. Absolutely. Yeah, I think your connection to modern day uh, warpings of of the Christian faith is, is spot on. Um, and it's just so in our human nature, isn't it, to... Mm-hmm. As much as we can't, we want to be responsible for our own salvation in the sense of like we want to make it happen um, by our own works and by our own merit. Um, and there's probably degrees of we love the feeling of self righteousness mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. because that's self, so good. That's so true. Self righteousness makes us feel superior, and we love feeling superior. Mm-hmm. And that this is what makes the gospel so powerful is the gospel when you embrace it is deciding to give up any air of superiority. Um, But I never see that in the social justice message. It's um, it always, even if it's in the shadows and eventually it comes out, um, but it, it always carries this, this sense of self-righteousness that comes along with it. That makes people feel like they're superior to others. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah, exactly. And they're self-congratulatory many times. Look at me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a social justice warrior and I congratulate myself, right? And it, this mm-hmm. becomes sort of an air of, of it's very highbrow in a sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, but, but even in other things, I was reading um, right now in my thesis, I'm having to go through 
tons and tons of Pentecostal journals from 1906. You guys are in Los Angeles, so uh, the old Azusa Street movement mm-hmm. um, with these these saints and, and come at it from a Pentecostal perspective. And, and what's interesting, I think what made the Pentecostal movement um, admirable, one thing is that they were very conscious of the of pride and arrogance. Um, and, mm-hmm. and their own superiority is, you know, everything revolved to them around spirit baptism. When you go through these journals, you just see everything to them was spirit baptism, spirit baptism. It was the answer for everything. And even in, in being spirit baptized, they started to realize they, as low as, as they were the degenerates of society, but they started feeling proud. They started right. feeling um, sort of central to what God was doing because they had spirit baptism. And God was always bringing them back to a place of repentance for mm-hmm. feeling proud, for being spirit baptized. And that was just, I admired that about them, that they, they understood that even in, in a move of God, okay, you can still feel self-congratulatory and like you said, mm-hmm. uh, self-righteous. And we have to be aware of that. Yeah, I love that. And that, that's pretty well what Paul speaks to in First Corinthians. And there's that same air of superiority where people are flowing in these gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, which we absolutely believe are for today and, and should be at work in the church. But it's the same outcome where it's just, there's this yeah. sense of pride that can stem from there. And God keeps calling us back to, Hey, this isn't, this isn't you, it's me. So Mm -hmm. acknowledge God and acknowledge our dependency upon him. And from that relationship, one might say (laughs) true, (laughs) true and healthy religion will follow. Yeah. I I told this story at school one time, but I'll tell again here, Uh, you know, teaching perhaps the most, the times where the Holy Spirit is correcting me the most is just working in, in academia. You just start this, you can be so proud at times. And, mm-hmm. and you just, the Holy Spirit really has to just put that in check. And one day I was feeling ultra pious and ultra proud for my, my studious work. And, and, you know, it's disgusting when, when you really think about it before the presence of God. And uh, I'd come back from a class and another student from another school, okay, it was, uh, who, which school probably in my opinion was, you know, it just it was it was a church school. Okay, wanted me to read their paper um, and give them some critique on it, and it just it didn't. It wasn't a theological paper at all. Um, you know, nothing theological. But it was a person telling their testimony in light of the Book of Hebrews. Um, you know, and and I get choked up about it now. I mean, I remember sitting in my office weeping and crying, and God brought me a real sense of conviction and showed me this person's heart, um, showed me this person's love for Jesus, this person's sincerity. And in contrast, it put my pride in contrast and showed me how how deeply sinful pride is and how deeply sinful self-righteousness is. Wow. And I'm telling yeah. you what, from that, from that day forward, um, whenever, hopefully, I see it and I can see pride, but um, it just grieves the Spirit of God just just so deeply. Um, and, uh, you know, so you talk about putting a, 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 a professor in check. That really put me in check. And I just felt, you know, as I stood before the Lord, I asked for his cleansing power and, and for him to change me because you're not worth your salt as a theologian, as a Christian thinker, um, if you think your ideas are superior all the time to everybody else. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Dang. Yeah. That's really good. That's well said, man. Let's yeah. do one more. Yeah, let's yeah. do one more, man. Yeah. One okay. More. Okay. So, okay. So there is uh, in, in theology right now, um, it's called visual theology. And so people are, so my professor always says this, um, he says, don't just read theology, look at the art of that time, because there's some things that left brain people see that right brain people can't get. So now in, in the book of, uh, in the apocalypse, uh, me and David Campbell have been talking about this because mm-hmm. I'm doing my my, my uh, studies in the apocalypse. How, you know, we're, we're looking at art during different periods of time to see how they received it, how they understood it. And it's, it's interesting. But not only that, but also looking at the text and how the text arranges itself. The one thing that's cool about Greek is sometimes they position words so that you, it kind of highlights their point. The way that they place the Greek words illustrates their point, okay? Cool. And, and let me show you what I mean. 
if you go to the book of Revelation um, and you see where, let's see, let me pull it up here. Um, yes. Um, okay, so in, in Revelation 17, 6 in the Greek, it says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. John is talking about uh, the woman who was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So you'd see this woman, she represents what's wicked, uh, evil culture, evil society, something that repeats itself over and over again. We believe that the the book of Revelation is cyclical, which means that the story in Revelation that's being told is told in every generation. Okay, this isn't a story that's relegated to one time period, but it keeps getting told. It keeps getting told. And every generation finds itself in this story again. And so when you see this woman who's drunk with the blood of the saints, okay, Babylon, wickedness, John sees her and he says something. When I saw her, the ESV says, I marveled greatly. The word here, marveled, there's no question about it. It's a Johannine word that would probably mean worship. He's not just talking about he was amazed. He's talking about he's worshiping this thing. Mm. Now, this is really, really, this it, this is really, um, I guess, surprising. It comes as a surprising point in the narrative because John has condemned it. John has warned about it. And John is in the spirit. So there are markers in the text where he's in the spirit. And so he said it three times by now. He's in the spirit. But yet even being in the spirit, he's tempted to worship mm-hmm. this thing, right? And in the Greek, it doesn't say, I, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. It says, I marveled at her, the great marvel. Okay, so it shows her in the middle, right? And it shows the word marvel on each side. And it showed John is like marveling from each side at this woman's beauty. So the derangement of the text in the Greek, if you if you look at it this way, and this was sort of an ancient way of writing, a first century way of writing, that it's illustrating to him to, to us, even through the arrangement of the words, how fascinated he is with this, even being in the spirit. This serves as a warning to Christians, to you and I, people who are I mean, this makes me think of Demas, who he betrayed when when he saw Paul's change, he became ashamed because he's a Greek, he comes from Thessalonica, he comes up to Rome. He beholds Rome. He's coming for Paul, but he sees the beauty of Rome, wow. and he's allured by Rome, and he leaves. He walks away from Paul. This is exactly what the apostle uh, John is going through at this time. He's facing the allurement of the city. God puts you on a new—so this could go to anybody. God places a person on a new assignment, puts them in a city to do something, and they become amazed by wow. everything. They're amazed by the food, the culture, the, the education, the, the beauty, the, the the way that people talk. Mm-hmm. They, they get romanticized by it, and this is exactly— what john is going through he's being romanced by culture and drawn away from that's amazing yeah i mean it makes a whole lot of sense i um i think about like all of the references to daniel uh in in the book of revelation and how uh that was that was daniel's story was what it was like to to live as royalty in a very uh anti-christ culture um and yet daniel figured out how to remain pure and, and dedicated to the Lord. Um, and so I, I guess in a certain sense with John seeing the fulfillment of a lot of the Daniel, uh, prophecies playing out throughout the church age, um, he, I guess, sees us as, and saw himself as Daniel's living in the, in the fulfillment of that. And uh, how we respond to the culture that we live in is so very important. That is so good. What you're saying, like you saying that has just triggered even new thinking in my head. Like Think about being prophetic. Being prophetic could, in a sense, in that sense, mean the prophetic call, not being allured by culture, not allowing Mm. culture to sway us, Mm. (laughs) but being prophetic in the sense of speaking the truth amidst the wicked culture, standing faithful for Christ, speaking for his kingdom and not being allured by the kingdom of this earth, which I think may be such an unsung quality about Daniel is that he's not swayed Mm -hmm. where he's at, but he remains steadfast. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier this morning, actually, um, uh, in Revelation 11, where it talks about the two witnesses having power from God to prophesy, and those two witnesses being symbolic of the church. And yes. when it says they're prophesying, I, I don't think we take that just as like what we think of initially with prophecy. I think they're prophesy, the church prophesies with its whole existence uh, to the truth of God mm. and against yes. the lies of culture. Um, yes. And I think like Mike preached an amazing message this last Sunday on, on work and how we approach work. And that's part of our prophetic behavior as a people um, and how we, uh, we go about our whole lives um, yes. as Daniels in the midst of Babylon um, mm. or as faithful Israel in the midst of the wilderness. You know, it's all prophetic. That is, yeah, that is so good, Mike and, and Jake, is, you know, that to, to be faithful witnesses, which is, in my opinion, if you ask me, coming from my standpoint, the, the key theme in the book of Revelation is, is being a faithful witness um, amidst a, a story that gets told constantly, um, amidst the different outpourings, plague, et cetera, et cetera, being that, that key faithful witness following Christ um, and laying down our lives to serve and to, and to follow him. Um and and again, even John, who is the prophet in this in this apocalyptic, um, he's the messenger. He's he's being swayed. I think that that serves to warn us that there should never be a time uh, where we allow our guard down to allow things to um, to lure us. And I think that's just uh, mm -hmm. the key the key in the narrative right here. So that's a strange scripture. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I call it I call it in the book Beware of Catfish. So I'm talking about getting catfish. John's you know getting catfish. Jerry, he's getting nice. thrown away. There, there you go. There's my little. <laughs> I hope my homiletics professor would give me an A for that one. So <laughs> that's awesome. Oh man, that's great. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for being on here again. So um, the uh, the book is Strange Scriptures. Where can we get it? Um, yeah, where can we? Get you can it? get it at shoptheword.com, or you can get it on Amazon. Uh, either way, okay. um, you can you can get it, and uh, I'll make sure to send me a, text me an address, and I'll I'll put one in the mail for you guys, so you can have it and uh, oh, you know, thank you, me man. on the show. Awesome, a man. little gift there. Cool. Yeah. And where can people find you? People can find you on Instagram. Yeah, Theoshu. Yeah, they can find me on Theoshu. Instagram is at Chris Palmer, and my website is uh, chrispalmer.me. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks so much for hanging with us today and uh, excited to read the book. Jake, Mike. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Talk brother. See you soon. Thanks. Bye.